Drums, please. Some days I wake up and just feel the compulsion to record my voice and my thoughts and feelings and whatever's happening. I, I can't really describe it or explain it. I just feel like something synthesizes and then I'm just like, okay, I can't really focus or do anything else until I handle this. <laughs> so, so here we are. Uh, one of those topics that's in my mind right now is pain, uh, pain management and pain, our relationship to pain whether that's mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain, whatever, uh, pain is kind of an interesting concept, topic, idea. And I have my own philosophy around pain, and I've actually been feeling okay around the idea of pain and handling pain. But I think it's important to share a little bit of what that is and how I got to that. Now, you'll notice that there's the birds chirping in the background. It's getting warmer here, and I can't do a podcast with my windows closed because it gets too hot. So I hope you can tolerate the birds in the background. Uh, I apologize if that's distracting, but I don't know. Maybe imagine us in a um, atrium of sorts, and we're just sitting on wicker chairs and talking, <laughs> or I'm talking at you, <laughs> either one. Um or if you have thoughts, just write them down and you can send a voice message after the fact. Uh, so I, I think of pain as signals. Pain, if I'm going to distill it down to that, pain is a signal. At its very essence, we have narratives, we have stories related to pain and uh, fears related to pain, anxieties, imaginations, and our personal histories related to pain. All of those things, if you strip those things away, pain is just a signal. Pain is your body or your mind or your heart telling you that you've experienced something that is detrimental to your health, to your well-being, or has some sort of trigger or reaction, some sort of something telling you something. It's communication between those areas of you. And it's essentially your job to respond to it. That's really what the word responsibility means. I don't know that that's something we really think about, but responsibility is a word that is all about responding to something as opposed to reacting, right? I think a largely what we end up doing with pain is reacting to pain and having this sort of trigger loop. So I talked about in the last podcast that I'm experiencing pudendal neuralgia at the moment and have some sciatica pain down my side and dealing with the pain hasn't been so bad and because I've prepped myself for not this specifically, but I've been kind of working through my mental health and working through my relationship with pain a little bit. And it's helped me to deal with it. It's still very distracting. It's, it's, it is pain. It's there. It's like, I have to listen to it. And it's one thing when pain is chronic, it is continuously telling you to stop what you're doing or to do something else or to pivot or move or whatever, right? And I think in America in particular, I don't know what it's like in your country if you're in a different country, but in America, there's a relationship to pain that is a little bit unhealthy. The healthcare system, for example, is typically trying to push pain management, pain relief, or pain dissociation. Um, not really dissociation. Dissociation is more of 
can be kind of a healthier way to approach pain, but like ignoring, I guess there's a little bit of a difference. Dissociating is kind of like what I said earlier is taking these stories and narratives and imaginations and separating them from the signal. Right. And what I mean is even ignoring the signal is unhealthy, but noticing the signal is healthy because that's what it is. It's a signal trying to tell you something. And all of this in relation to mental health, I think is important to think about. Like I think about it with my own brain as well, our, our mental health, what we're experiencing, whether it's chemical or a result of our environment or our life situation, that it's mental pain. There has been uh, studies done that equate the emotional pain that we experience or mental health pain that we experience to physical pain in terms of like the same signals that go off in our brain represent the same feeling. And I think that's super important to take note of in the sense that if what you're experiencing mentally and emotionally is also equivalent to physical pain, then we can think of those things as just signals as well and think about the stories and narratives that we apply to those things on top of it. And I think that's, I think that's some of the essence of what I've been trying to talk about on this podcast for the last few years is, is having a healthier relationship to our mental health that is empowering. That is not about perpetuating these negative narratives around limiting beliefs related to our mental health, right? Basically saying like, I'm ADHD, so I can't do this or that. You can't do some things, sure. And there are some things you just can't do a certain way, right? Like it's not that you can't work a job or that you can't um, focus necessarily. It's like you just can't focus on one thing or you can't focus on certain things, right? And sometimes um, as a whole in the world right now, there's a lot of grasping at identities, grasping at labels, grasping at um, uh, calcifications of who we are. And I think that's overall kind of dangerous. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to mental health. It's like if we're over identifying with the labels, not saying we shouldn't identify them with them at all, but it's only one minor aspect of who we are and what we're capable of. So when it comes to pain and our mental relationship to pain or our emotional relationship to pain, pain is just a signal. So if you think about something that you're experiencing in terms of triggers, right? Triggers are similar signals to pain. Triggers are a, uh, a spark that reminds you of a previous pain or a pain that exists and hasn't been reconciled with as a result of previous pain. It's kind of like PTSD, though PTSD traditionally is more about an abrupt typically a violent moment that happened that was shocking to your system and you weren't able to fully process the moment. And much of the time, PTSD patients end up going through a, a sort of um, exposure therapy. And depending on the type of, of, of what uh, elements of the PTSD are missing, I forget that there was a, there was a type of, um, there was an acronym that described the different elements of what may be missing in PTSD patients that there is uh, there's like sensory auditory. There's a couple of other things that if you're missing one or two of those elements, that's basically what causes PTSD. So that when you experience something similar, like a car backfires and you experience a bang, 
your brain is like starting to be reminded of that moment because you dissociated in that moment from the auditory element of what happened because it was so overwhelming for your mind. You only processed what you could process in that moment. And now these days I've been talking about, I've talked about complex PTSD on this podcast before, and it's, it's a similar way. I think complex PTSD is expanding in scope. Um, And even PTSD is expanding in scope in terms of understanding complex PTSD has been described as it was originally an idea related to children who have been kidnapped and had to kind of dissociate from the situation and basically experiencing repeated traumas. Um, It was also the same with like rape victims and people who, again, have experienced repeated traumas. And over time, when you experience repeated traumas, like even the word rape, uh, which I know is, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a warning there, but that sometimes those words or experiences or the way someone talks or the way that uh, something you experience visually, those create triggers when there's something that you have not been able to fully process or to create some closure around. And not to say that it's, I'm, I'm not trying to say that that getting a trigger or having a trigger is, is bad by any means. It's just, a, it's just a trigger. It's a reaction, right? So when you have a trigger response, that is basically your mind telling you, oh, there's something here we need to work through. At its essence, that's really what's happening. It's like your mind is saying, there's something we need to work through because we didn't really fully process the actuality of what happened for better or worse, right? So if you experienced uh, childhood traumas, things that have been difficult, um, you can call them traumas or maybe even just difficulties, you know, that maybe it's not as extreme as traumas. I know we've been kind of starting to take the word trauma and apply it to more things. And I, I, you know, when you start to use a word ubiquitously, it starts to lose meaning. So when I'm talking about trauma, I mean like childhood development trauma or just childhood development, uh, lack of reconciliation. You know, one of the things that Enneagram talks about is, or some of the, the Enneagram leaders talk about is that when you're uh, there, there's a, an emerging idea that you're born with your Enneagram type, but your Enneagram type has to be consolidated when you're a kid, meaning that has to be kind of respected and seen and you have to go through a natural growth process. But if your parents are trying to push their agenda too much, trying to make you like them or don't treat you like your, your own individual human being, uh, which happens often and, um, you don't get an opportunity to reconcile your, you know, your personality or your impulses or your ego, really. Um, then there starts to develop repeated traumas about that. You know, there are elements where you're trying to get what you naturally want, and there's a lot of pushback. You know, so even in the Myers Briggs system, you've got like judges or perceivers, which are basically at its essence, a judger is a little bit more. Um, organized in the outside world so that they can be more freeform inside their mind and vice versa for perceivers. Perceivers are tend to be a little more quote unquote messy on the outside world, but it's really about playfulness in the outside world versus being more organized in their internal world. So if you're a judger that grows up with a bunch of perceiver parents and Molly and I are being sensitive to our daughter, Penny, she is eight years old and she's likely an ESTJ And she has these impulses with her dominant extroverted thinking where she wants to organize the situation. She wants to organize us 
to do something that she wants to do. And uh, the rest of us being individualistic, um, both Molly and her son, Jake, are ENFPs, and I am an INTP. We're both, we're all perceivers. And so we're all very much like, no, we're just going to do what we want to do. And she's like, I want everyone to kind of be on the same page. Uh, uh, Penny being saying like, we, I want everyone to be on the same page. So it can be confusing. It can be messy for her. It can feel weird for her if we are constantly pushing against that natural desire for her to do that. And later in life, she might have to reconcile with that. So Molly and I are being aware of that, being trying to be considerate of that and trying to help her reconcile that aspect of her to not feel like she needs to repress that. And in an essence, triggers are an activation of a repressed aspect of ourselves. Uh, Again, as far as I understand about myself and what I've experienced in other people. So when we're experiencing pain related to a trigger, again, those are just signals. And what stops us from reconciling is, A, it could be just simple knowledge of what it is that we have to do to reconcile. That's why therapists exist, to help us figure that out. There are sometimes things deep in our subconscious that are really hard to pull out. And like, what do we even do with any of that? Um, uh, and, And then the simple awareness that that's even a thing separate from the stories we attach to it. And then there's the idea of those stories themselves, you know, stories, narratives that we place around triggers that reinforce the repression of those triggers. So it could be things like saying like uh, that, that my ADHD keeps me from doing this and is limiting myself because I've gotten these signals and stories from the external world that I can't do A, B, C, and D, and therefore that's the limit. And I'm going to actually now use this label to reinforce that so that I don't have to be anything beyond what this label tells me that I am. And that can be detrimental to anyone's growth. And I keep picking ADHD, but it could be really anything that limits us, right? It could be, you know, if there's a father related complex or something related to, you know, your dating history, it could then morph into blaming all men for creating those triggers in you when it was really those few men in your life. And subsequently there are other men in the world that would potentially create that for other people. Um, But I'm a proponent of uh, and, and no means am I picking on the male to female relationship. It can be the other way around. There's all sorts of non-binary situations that are being more complex these days. So it is um, not that cut and dry. And it's really what it's all about is like none of this is very cut and dry. And it's very hard to get to the essence of what's going on because the outside world is chaos. The outside world is noise. It is madness. There's all sorts of things to blame. There's all sorts of, all sorts of things to point at. There's all sorts of things that um, keep us from accessing the higher elements of our internal world. And sometimes our relationship to pain keeps us from accessing those things. You know, it's an avoidance of pain. Like, I don't want to feel what comes up when I experience that trigger. So I just avoid the word altogether or the situation altogether. When again, the idea of safe exposure. Again, I'm not saying that you should <laughs> on your own go out and go, you know, create exposure. Like I'm not saying go confront your attackers or anything of that nature. I'm saying that therapy helps you to do that. But I'm 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 in essence, if I can distill all of this down, I'm trying to make it so that pain is not scary. 
pain is not pain is not something that is out to get you, you know, and that's another relationship that Americans in particular have as um, have related to the body is this relationship to the body producing pain signals and therefore the body is the enemy. And that's just far from the truth altogether as well. And, um, you know, that sucks. That sucks to feel that way about ourselves, right? And it's really hard because it's really easy automatically to feel like we have a body and that we are not a body, but we are a body, you know, our body is not just what our head rests on and uh, that's something worth taking care of. And uh, the Enneagram has been really great for me to be aware of the head, heart and body as these like unifying elements of my being. So that when I experience a trigger that, you know, there, there's a moment for me to stop and start to think about how can I respond to this instead of reacting to it. Again, there, there's reactivity occurring left and right, you know, all over the internet, for example. And uh, it's really easy for to see someone say something and you assume that person's character based on your own personal triggers and own your own personal experiences in, in, in that past or in that situation. And you apply those nodes to this person because they kind of sound like something that you experienced in the past or that you're assuming their tone of voice because of some of the words that they use, or you're assuming their intent because of some of the words that they use. All of this is really tricky to, to, to break away from because antagonism, antagonism is kind of built into the first tier of spiral dynamic structure of everyone that's in the, uh, within society and trying to make a living and trying to, you know, get to know each other and trying to navigate the world, everything is antithetical to another thing. Right. And transcendence is trying to break that a little bit. Transcendence is this idea of like, you don't need to be antagonistic to be empowered. Right. And there's this assumption that in order to be empowered, you need to have power over when empowerment is personal power related to yourself, not related to another. When it comes, when it becomes comparison of some kind, then that typically goes into more unhealthy territory, though it's harder to avoid when you're in the first tier of spiral dynamics, which I've talked about spiral dynamics in previous episodes. So if you have questions about that, go see that episode Um, and all of that stuff. I'm going to take a break to catch breath and uh, be right back. Do you like books? What about books that read to you? Not the books themselves. That would be interesting if books had voices. It would be like once upon a time. You don't know if the book, what what voices the books would have. Who who knows? Sometimes the books are read by authors. Sometimes they're read by uh, voice actors. I've mentioned it before. The Martian is one of my favorite because the voice actor is pretty fantastic. Uh, but if you want to go investigate the world of spoken books or weird books with faces, I don't know what I'm talking about. AudibleTrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E. Get your first ebook for free and then uh, pay monthly to get uh, as many ebooks as you can muster. So go ahead and do that thing. AudibleTrial.com slash D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, and that supports the channel. So let's get back to the show.
So I think what I'm trying to get at with this podcast episode is to really define and, and kind of distance a little bit from our narratives and stories, what pain is and what triggers are, because pain is simply a signal and triggers are also a signal. And if you can take a moment, stop, notice when you're experiencing them, first of all, you can get a little bit one step closer to being a little bit more conscious and starting to embody the watcher concept, meaning you can actually like, are you your thoughts? I think we kind of get into that idea that we are our thoughts and there's no separation, but you can actually notice yourself thinking, which becomes kind of trippy at first. But if you can watch yourself, watching yourself, watching yourself, then the world kind of changes a little bit. You start to notice what those triggers are. You kind of look at your pain and you can say like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because the narratives that we have around pain are typically that pain is a negative, that pain, we need to get rid of it. But pain is a valuable tool and pain is connected to our body. Our body sends us signals that if you bump your knee into something, you're going to get that signal that your body is like, hey, don't can do that. <laughs> stop, don't do that again. Uh, and you know, you just feel the pain you say like, okay, I see you. I see you body. I see what you're talking about. I get how that hurts. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. Right. And you know, if you apply that to bigger things, longer term things, you can have an easier time in your healing process. I think, um, if you're trying to not add layers and layers and layers on top of your situation, Right. Because that's often what we end up doing is we end up adding these layers on top of the pain itself. And then when we go to therapy, we have to start peeling those layers and realizing how much protection we've created for ourselves over something that um, simply needs to be recognized or noticed or talked through or anything like that. Um, and, and, you know, this is highly situational, highly contextual. I'm not saying every case is going to be that cut and dry and I'm making it sound like it's cut and dry, but that's not, it's not even remotely true. You know, it is, it is hard to heal. It is difficult. You know, with, I'm dealing with my physical pain with my sciatica and pudendal neuralgia, this is going to take maybe eight to 12 weeks at minimum to potentially heal if I do everything right. Right. So I'm going to be experiencing chronic pain for a while. And when you're experiencing mental pain, like that's really hard when you're experiencing depression, this is really hard to deal with. Um, but it's okay to have this somewhat distant relationship with pain in the sense that you're not applying narratives on top of it. So it's not, you know, when you, you start to, you know, depression can be just a physical thing, right? Depression can be something you, you experience because you haven't experienced enough sadness. You know, maybe you need to feel more sadness and actually feel what the depression is trying to tell you instead of adding the narratives on top of it, which then starts to compound and starts to say like, I'm lazy. I feel stupid. I feel ridiculous. I feel X, Y, and Z, which are all valid feelings. I'm not saying those feelings are not useful, but the feelings themselves are shielding sometimes, right? So when it comes to pain, there's sort of like two avenues to look at it from. You can overvalue pain and lean into it. And if pain is something, emotional pain is something that feels comfortable, kind of like boiling in water slowly. You're like, oh, this water feels nice and cozy. And then before it know, you know it, you're cooked. <laughs> um, 
it's this this idea of uh, overvaluing pain and overvaluing suffering so that you're living in it all the time and you'll never want to let it go. You'll never want to grow. You'll never want your life to get better because you get a positive response from suffering, either from yourself or from outside. You know, that's like Enneagram fours, for example, overdue sadness, overdue suffering. And um, the heart types in the Enneagram have a relationship to sadness in, in that there's a push and pull or an underdoing sadness or an overdoing sadness. The underdoing sadness is the Enneagram three typically, but anyone can do these things. So I'm not talking about just these types, but it's possible to underdo sadness and push it away or just overvalue thinking or overvalue achievement or overvalue um, the, the anything that gets you what you want that is not related to pain. And it could be a fear of pain. It could be a, just an overall negativity towards pain or a mental philosophy related to pain that um, you know, you kind of create a stoicism around pain and you just, you don't even, you kind of just like, you're, you're like one of those dogs that like looks at the side of their eye and it's just like <laughs> looking at something and you're just like, that's, I'm just going to pretend that it's not there. <laughs> so, um, you know, pain is a real thing, you know, so avoidance of pain is not the thing and an over indulging in pain is not the thing either. Right. Cause like, I still got to pay my bills. I still got to do my work. I still got to live. I still got a partner that needs love and affection and care. And, uh, you know, if I'm stopping everything, then I can't participate in that. So there's a degree of balance where I have to slow down a lot of certain things. And then there are other things that I need to just make shifts, right? I need to make adjustments. doesn't mean I'm incapable. It just means that I have to, to think in a different way. And that's kind of why I use the ADHD example, because sometimes ADHD is not about compiling information that just reinforces our narratives and beliefs, but you're starting to look at, okay, what can I do? And I think that's the difference when it comes to personality or mental health. We're, we're often looking for diagnostic material that reinforces the notion of what can't I do. And that approach is usually what becomes self-limiting, right? So if you start to approach your research around your mental health, whether it's depression, bipolar disorder, complex PTSD, ADHD, or even just personality awareness and different levels of personality, uh, levels of awareness related to personality, that uh, when you start to change your frame of mind to approach your identity, your sections of identity, your pain, your trauma, from a lens of what can I do, then the game changes completely. And then you can start to approach the world from a place that says, I don't need to fit into a certain box in order to exist, in order to thrive, in order to uh, to be something or to be myself or to just, you know, to just to just exist and be peaceful. Because ultimately, and if I can wrap it up on this, I guess I'll say that a lot of the times we conflate happiness with peace and we see happiness as the opposite of pain. When happiness is just another emotion, you know, too much happiness is also not good. As I said, you can feel depression from not feeling enough sadness. And 
not feeling the, the feelings that you need to feel. They're all valid. They all exist. They are all real. They exist within your psyche as a part of your, you know, mental being and physical being and heart being, right? These different centers of intelligence, as the Enneagram refers to them, are important to listen to and to have connections with, right? So this mind-body connection is valuable to have something from your your body say something, you know, hitting yourself, hitting your knee on the table, and then your brain having this reaction of like, okay, I see you body, like you're having that communication back and forth and respecting it and not just like ignoring the pain or just, or overvaluing the pain and seeing like, ah, that was awful. (laughs) But, you know, starting to see pain as what it is, which is a signal, a signal that there's something either to not do again or to improve or to heal at the end of the day. So I want to thank you for listening to this impromptu episode of Dopamine. I'm starting to put a little bit more emphasis on the podcast again. I just feel like I need to do some talking, get some ideas out there. And I'm making a little bit of a shift. I kind of put some, I put a lot of attention on INTPs for a little while. And uh, I think that's great. And there's a lot of content for INTPs in the Myers-Briggs system. But if I'm being honest, they don't pay the bills (laughs) as a, Kevin from Shark Tank would put it, it's not what's going to set you free, right? So I'm trying to make some pivots, some slight changes to um, just kind of get back to talking on the podcast more, expressing myself, sharing my story, sharing my thoughts, talking a little bit more about mental health and my experience, but I'm probably gonna be talking more about my body stuff um, more so in the coming episodes. I feel like just that's just kind of where my head's at. Um, in terms of supplemental material, you know, the website is going to have still all of the INTP courses and stuff, but that itself may evolve. That that may include more um, podcast-related things in terms of where to listen to the podcast, where to subscribe, um, some exclusive videos or anything like that. And um, other than that, still kind of fostering those you know, those courses aren't going anywhere. So if that's something you still want, you can go to dopeintp.com and check that out uh, and see, you know, see which courses, there's a free course there that you can start from and then kind of go down the line um, and see if that's something that's good for you. But I'm also trying to regroup and get a sense of what, um, you know, treat this podcast as something that is uh, uh, entertainment, but informative And, you know, I'll probably put more sponsored stuff in here that may be relevant to uh, what I'm talking about. Sometimes not, but, you know, it fits the audience. You know, Audible, everybody listens, you know, I'm sure you read books if you're into personal growth. So, you know, audibletrial.com slash dopamine and all that fun stuff. Um, But yeah, that's basically where my head's at. I'm kind of in this like transitional space. I think there's like a transitional energy in the air as it as it were um you know one of my favorite websites giant bomb is pivoting because three of their half of their illustrious decade old staff has left and there's all sorts of other big pivots happening as the world starts to kind of reopen feels like people have had a lot of time to think and work through some things and um, are going to come out of this wanting to make some major changes um, seeing what's worked and what hasn't worked and um, 
you know, going through the tides of, of what's coming. So uh, no different for me, basically. I'm wanting to experiment, see what else clicks, see if this podcast is always still worth doing. Uh, I know some of you are been listening for a while, so I appreciate you for that. Um, you can support the channel at, at patreon.com slash dopamine or join us on our mighty networks at dopamine.mn.co for, you know, additional conversations and um, questions and all that fun stuff with a more private community of people who are sharing some of their stories. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where things are at for now. So I appreciate you for listening to this podcast, listening to me ramble and talk about this stuff. Cause I just kind of needed to express myself and, um, I'll catch you on the next episode of dopamine. Take care of yourselves and all the people in your life. And I'll catch you next time on dopamine. See ya. This has been a C-Note Media Production.